The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Hey, Rockheads, quit counting the holes in the ceiling tiles and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 468 with guest Glenn Howe, recorded live Monday, July 20th, 2009. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net training developers to work smarter, and now offering .NET Nuke video training with Chris Hammond from Engage Software on DVD, DNR TV style. Order your copy now at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, combining the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. And by Grape City Data Dynamics. Makers of ActiveReports.net, simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for Windows Forms and ASP.NET Web applications. Online at www.datadynamics.com. Support is also provided by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com. And now... The man who found out the word bandwidth in Terry Glass, Ireland, refers to your belt size, Carl Franklin. Thank you very much. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. It's Carl and Richard. Here again. Here again. Uh, you know, I wanted to say something, Rich. You know, I've been telling you a little bit about this little application I've been writing with the system.speech namespace, speech right. recognition for the car. Well, I put it to the test uh, last weekend. Well, okay, maybe three weeks ago. I'm just trying to do the recording time shift math thing here in my head. But it was about three weeks ago. I went to a family reunion in Pennsylvania, so I had a chance to uh, to work with it. And um, everything worked really, really well. I was surprised. But except for the one one problem I have with the um, AT&T USB connect thing, Oh, that's the uh, internet connection? The internet connection, yeah, which is very cool, by the way. It's a little USB thing that sticks out, and it's got a little um, application that comes with it. You can just connect to the 3G network wherever you are, but it just decided to stop working. And so I figured I'd better reinstall it, and here's the problem, though. The uh, computer stopped recognizing it when I plugged it in, but the software that has the drivers is on the USB thing itself, oh, no. which is a very cool idea. Because then you can just take it to any machine, plug it in, install the software. You know, it's got your SIM in it, so it's like inter- instant internet anywhere. But if, yeah, for some reason the computer stops recognizing it, that's that's when you got problems. Yeah, you're stuck. Yeah, it's one of those interesting design 
issues. Yeah, well, it's just like calling for phone support when your phone is broken. That's right. Or you call somebody. You ever get a call from somebody? I used to get these from my father-in-law all the time. Hey, uh, what's your phone number again? I'm like, you called me. <laughs> he said, yeah, but I plugged it into my phone and I just hit a button. I can't remember. Oh, well. Uh, let's get into Better Know Framework, I suppose. Better Know Framework is where I shine a little light on a darkened corner of the .NET framework uh, just to... For your education. So what do you got for me, Carl? Well, I went looking in system.link, and I came up with uh, the iLookup interface, which huh. uh, defines an indexer, a size property, and a Boolean search method for data structures that map keys to I enumerable of T sequences of values. So it's basically for doing lookups, lookup classes. Okay. And... Um, to go uh, a little further, I looked around on the internet to see what people are doing with it. So you remember Franz Balma, right? LLBL Gen, yeah. LLBL Gen, yeah. So he, uh, in May, published the source code to a, a multi-value dictionary class that he wrote, which can also merge dictionaries into itself and which implements iLookup as well. And, and I thought that was pretty cool. And, uh, he came up with some interesting workarounds to a problem that he had, which was since the class inherits from dictionary, which implements I enumerable and I lookup also implements I enumerable, but different, different generic types. He had to work around that by making the implementation of I lookup uh, explicit. So uh, I just love to see, you know, brains in action when it comes to working around issues like that. Well, and Franz is a clever boy. No two ways about it. He's a smart guy. Yep. And you can check out... Let me see where it is. And you can check out Franz Balma's multi-value dictionary that uses iLookup at shrinkster.com slash 17TU. 17TU. So you got a email for us, Richard. I do indeed. And it's in reference to show 461, Mr. Forte, and uh, 460 with Scott Ambler. Uh, Carl and Richard, with my .NET development hat on, I have to say that it is great to have this abstraction, and he's talking about Link, as it does make it easier for junior developers to get applications started. Also, this allows smaller teams to write code easier and to not have to devote the manpower to a SQL developer. I am not a fan of the argument that you do not need to know SQL. As a senior developer, you should feel comfortable using several languages and use the best one for the job. Now... As a DBA slash DB developer, I am horrified by the T-SQL that is generated by Link to SQL. Ooh. If you look at the reads in the profiler of some of the queries that are created to access tables and views directly, they're in the millions of reads. A knowledgeable SQL developer could have used techniques such as table variables, temp tables, derived tables, and so on to cut these reads by half, if not more. This will allow for a more scalable and thus faster, more reliable application. Even Link to Stored Procedures has some oddities that force strange structures in T-SQL stored procedures. A good example would be that Link sees bits as nullable, even if a null is checked for within the code, so the bit must be declared as not nullable. If the entity framework is only going to produce worse T-SQL, then it might be best to let it get magically to version 3 before widespread adoption. Well, let's not... Well, he didn't do an analysis of the Entity Framework, did he? No. Just linked to SQL. But they, so the presumption here is that Entity Framework is even more complicated than linked to SQL, so it's right. going to be worse. 
Well, we should uh, maybe an alert listener out there can do some profiling of Vanity Framework, and maybe we should get somebody from Microsoft on to talk about that. To talk yeah, about the it, sequel, it's certainly an me. interesting issue. Uh, and uh, Gifford goes on to say, uh, "Is this a good distraction?" He says, and so Gifford goes on to say, is this a good abstraction? It depends. For small applications, yes, but for larger applications that need scalability, no. I do not think that ORMs in general meet the goals mentioned by Scott Ambler, and that is to bypass the DBAs. And uh, please keep the great shows coming. Gifford Haynes and P.S. I agree with Richard. GUID should not be in a primary key. <laughs> Let's not start that again. <laughs> Hey, Gifford, thanks very much for your email. I, I get your concerns. I wear a DB hat fairly often. And, uh, yeah, we're always going to struggle with generated SQL. No two ways about it. And, uh, these things are here to stay, and we've got to find a way. And I'm sending a mug to you. And if you would like a mug, send us an email, rocks at franklins.net. We'll think about it. No, I'm just kidding. We read all our emails, but the ones that we choose to read on the on the show, the, you get a free .NET Rocks mug. All right. Well, today's show is a, a, a bit of an interesting show because you remember we did this show with Rory Blythe who sort of fell off the face of the earth and we hadn't heard from him in a long time and then suddenly he's doing iPhone development. Right. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Now, anybody who knows Rory knows that you know he is a very dry wit and tries to be funny, very self-deprecating and, and sometimes uses colorful metaphor as well. Uh, and he's a .NET developer, right? So he's not he's a Mac user, but he's never done Mac development before. And, uh, you know, a seasoned Mac developer would have listened to that show and probably gotten quite a different uh, take on it than, than a .NET developer who doesn't know anything about Mac development. It turns out that happened. So uh, Glenn Howes is our guest today, and, and he was listening to this show because he is a Mac developer and an iPhone developer, but his company is uh, has got a .NET initiative, and so he has to be keeping up on the things that are going on in the, uh, in the .NET world and listening to this stuff and just boiling like, oh, my God, this is so wrong. This guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Oh, yeah, so, that is true. Yeah. Uh, Glenn, before I, before I let you speak, I want to introduce you formally. Uh, Glenn Howes is a senior developer at Cambridge Soft, coding the venerable ChemDraw line of structure drawing applications well known to bench chemists everywhere. In his spare time, he writes iPhone apps both for his own company, uh, which is generally helpful software, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and for others, uh, such as Big Tin Can. He's specialized in cross-platform development. Mac and PC since graduating from the University of Wisconsin in 1996 with a PhD in analytical science. Along the way, programming in Java, C++, and Objective-C while using such frameworks as the Think Class Library, AWT, Mac App, PowerPlant, MFC, QT, Cocoa, and Cocoa Touch, and such IDEs as Think C, MPW, Code Warrior, Xcode, and Visual Studio. And all I can say is, wow, get a life. Seriously, well, dude, get around, dude. That's some serious, serious uh, set of tools there. Well, you know, it's a matter of you. You go where people want to hire you, and I think basically what happens is that you, if some new technology comes out, there are no experts in that technology, right? And so people will hire you uh, based on what you've done in other technologies. So if you jump from job to job, and a new technology comes out, like let's say, let's say PowerPlant came out, which was a Mac framework. And, you know, nobody knew it. Nobody used it. So uh, somebody who had, had some other C++ experience will get hired to do that job. 
And, you know, if uh, right now there's a huge demand for Cocoa programmers because, right. you know, everybody's doing iPhone development. Yeah. And uh, so uh, a lot of people today can get jobs as Cocoa programmers that weren't a Cocoa programmer, you know, three weeks ago. At least that seems to be the case. I don't know. What's really striking about the, the iPhone, and I have one, by the way, and I've had it for, for quite a while and I love it. And what's really amazing about the iPhone is that it seems to be like the one place, that app store seems to be the one place where people just don't mind paying 10 bucks for a program that in the rest of the internet would just be something you, you, that you would just put out there for free. Well, yeah, that is true. You know, I've, I've, all my life I've done my side project and usually I've just given them away. I've, because I think mainly because I didn't want to go through the trouble of, you know, handling credit cards or, you know, doing, you know, if you, if you sell something to somebody, somebody, you owe them. Right. right? That's right. But if you, if you give somebody a free piece of software, well, they come to you and they say, please. Right. right. They say, could you please add this feature? Right. And that's always nice. I mean, you know, I, I like it, uh, but, uh, you know, the App Store comes out and all of a sudden it's very easy to take people's money. Right. And they and, pay for it. And uh, I, I would say that $10 is probably on the high side of what you can usually oh, charge. Sure, sure, yeah, even 99 cents. But, I mean, the volume at which people, d- 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 you know, download and buy these apps is ridiculous. Like, very, very popular place to buy software. Well, that's true. And I think the people, uh, first of all, I would say that I'm not one of these people who have gotten rich on the App Store. I am, I have a couple products out there. Um, they're Either they're very specialized or... Uh, well, it turns out they weren't good enough. So I, I, I have not gotten rich. I've gained a fair amount of money, you know, selling my services to other people uh, to, for development, and uh, I think that's turned out pretty well. And I've, I'm pretty proud of the stuff I've been able to do. Okay, so we've but, heard the .NET programmer's uh, definition, not definition, but recounting his experience of programming for the iPhone. Now let's get, now you can assume that the listeners are 99% .NET people that maybe some of them have done iPhone development, but probably I'm thinking very few. So from your perspective, um, tell us about the experience. Tell us about the language, and I don't care where you want to start. It's we're, it's a blank slate as far as we're concerned. I say, well, you know, I understand. You know, I understand what it's like to transition from one ID to another. I mean, uh, you know, back before um, Apple acquired Next, we had Mac developers had a, an idea that was called uh, CodeWire. And and I loved CodeWire. It was a great it was a great development environment for C++. And uh, the 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 application framework that came out with this was quite was you know pretty flexible and worked pretty well. It was much better than previous frameworks and previous uh, IDEs I'd worked with. And you know um, Xcode came out with you know it was they sort of rushed it a little bit because they had to get the developers and it you know the C++ compiler was nowhere near as fast as the CodeWire C++ compiler and there was all sorts of things missing and it was sort of clunky and whatnot and you could see you could see that it was really sort of an, a next program that was masquerading as a as a Mac program and. But you know the the thing the the core was there the the the, uh, the you could do uh, cocoa development and it turns out that you know Apple was right this this was a very flexible way a very way a good way of of uh, doing app development and it's it's it is the best app development program uh, setup I've ever seen and I've done a lot of app development and a lot of things. And uh, it's sort of hard to say why that is, because I think it's a manually a matter of that they just got the language right to begin with. I mean, I think your your previous guest was talking about, oh, it's such an old language or whatever. It's you know, it took them 
20 years or 30 years to uh, go to version 2, right? Well, that's mainly because they got it right the first time, I think. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> I mean, uh, and I think they're very protective of adding things. I, I've, I've been a C++ programmer most of my life, and that's what people pay me to do. I do C++ for most of what I've... Most of my development life, people have paid me to C++. And C++ is a mess, mainly because uh, people just add, people have, over the years have just added, you know, the kitchen sink to that right. language. Right. And I don't know if you've ever done any C++ programming. I have, I, yeah. And that's exactly the way I felt, going from one, going from Borland C uh, to Microsoft Visual C++ and in all of the incarnations and all of the meta information that you have to understand, uh, you know, it can get overwhelming. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's overwhelming, and there's a lot of things that a lot of modern features that they try they they that are sort of half baked in C plus plus because the inherent design of language is such that oh you really can't do that you really can't do proper uh, garbage collection mm. in C plus plus you know you have to have this you know funky uh, you, like you go get the boost libraries or something like that and and you ha- you sort of fake garbage collection yeah and uh, or you know you can't do you have to have this very elaborate template system in order to have collections because right. there's no base class. Right. You know, there's, no, there's no base class in, 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 in C++. There's a base class, basically, in Objective-C. And so uh, you can just have a, uh, a dictionary or a set or an array or what, whatever kind of basic cl- uh, collection you might want. And you don't have to have templates to do that. So let's uh, let's parallel a little bit. Objective C is the language uh, that that all Mac stuff is written in, and Cocoa is more like an like a developer framework, sort of like a .NET or a Java virtual machine kind of thing. Well, uh, Objective C is well. First of all, you can do a, a Mac develop in any number of languages. Okay. Uh, people do uh, in in Ruby. They do it in C plus plus. They do it in Objective C. They do it in uh, well, lots of things, and okay. uh, the, but Cocoa is the application framework that Apple provides you to do well to do a lot of things, but mainly to do uh, GUI stuff. And Cocoa is um, works with any language, does it, or is it an Objective C only thing? Uh, it's not an Objective C only language, but it is. It might as well, almost might as well be. I guess the, the Ruby people will get, would get on me for saying that. Okay. <laughs> there are a few other languages that are near, are, are first class or nearly first class with Objective C. But uh, basically, when most people talk, they they sort of tie them together. Um, you know, anytime you have a very dynamic language, you have a situation where it's potential. You can potentially mix and match your languages, you know, with very low impedance. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you get another language that is, you know, that has a, that can be incompatible with the uh, the Cocoa runtime, you can probably. Uh, end up with a situation where you can, you know, make direct calls or almost direct calls to uh, Cocoa objects, but um, you know that is not something I personally have done a lot of. Okay. Right at one point, at one fact, they had a Java, they had a Java bridge to Cocoa that yeah. Apple came out with, basically just to, to um, well, I guess to sort of entice people to move over to the framework, and then they, yeah. uh, after a couple of years, they dropped it because yeah. it really wasn't part of their. Um, well, they're, they're corporate goals, I guess. So again, and Cocoa is like a, a, a sort of a framework for doing UI stuff. It sort of packages up a lot of the user interface code. Yeah, that's right. right. Yeah. So then there's there's you know there's the two there's desktop Cocoa and in desktop Cocoa you'd have all those things with the the next step uh, uh, you know prefix you know NS view or or NS string 
And then you have, uh, on the iPhone, you'll have uh, UI view. Well, you, would, and you actually still have NF string because that isn't a GUI thing, but um, it is just, it's basically just the application framework. So, um, and uh, you have uh, Xcode is the IDE, and then your interface builder is called Interface Builder. And uh, you, um, you create a project in Xcode, and you, uh, it usually it'll come with it as a template, and you say, you, know, you say, I'm going to open up Interface Builder, I'm going to add a button here, I'm going to add a scrolling view here, I'm going to I have to, I'm going to use the delegate pattern to connect up a, a data source, or I'm going to connect a data source up to this list. I'm going to uh, set up a. Another thing is that people are that's big on in Mac development is the model view controller paradigm. Right, right. And I know you guys have been talking about that a lot mm-hmm. um, in, in other contexts. Yeah, the model view controller, and that is absolutely the most defining pattern in Cocoa development. People, uh, that is exactly how they formatted everything, and that's how they've been doing it for a long time. Okay, is that you know you have you uh, basically the Apple will provide you the views, you know they'll provide you the buttons and the and the list views and the um, you know the sliders and the and the scroll bars and whatever, and you provide the controllers, and if you want if you want to make your own per, you know uh, personalized version of a view, you can. And yeah, oftentimes you do, but it turns out that most of the time you spend in your custom code is in the controller. Right. That's all the thinking bits. That's all the thinking. That's all the application thing. And, you know, and that's, that's the really good thing about this. You know, I've, I've done a lot of programming over the years, and a lot of times people spend a lot of time doing stuff that every application does. Right, and that's what the framework is. When you have a good framework, you have one that uh, does all the stuff that every other application does. Right. And uh, I've, you know, so when I'm working here at Cambridge Soft, we don't really have a framework. We've our our application is is older than framework. It's older than dirt. Right. <laughs> and and we do a lot of stuff that um, is just not is just the same stuff that everybody should be doing, and every and the frameworks provide you. Now, and, just to, can I just jump back just a little bit if you could hold yeah. that thought? You mentioned Xcode, and mm-hmm. we, we define that in Rory's show, but I just want to define that as the development environment. That's the IDE. That's right? the idea. That's the equivalent of Visual Studio. Right. Um, it was been written, it's basically been written from scratch in the, uh, since the uh, OS X came into existence. So we want to dispel the idea that you're you know, spending a lot of time at the command line remembering archaic commands. Those, oh, days, are, those days are gone. Those days are long since gone, yeah. and um, uh, yeah, Xcode is is, and it's just been getting better. That's the other thing. You know, I heard Rory talking, and I was like, "What? That? You know?" So I told my wife, "It's like, oh, it's like your you. Somebody said your baby was ugly." <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, you know, and you got to understand, you may not know anything about Rory Blythe, but I mean, he he's a very tongue in cheek, funny guy. If you've ever read his blog, oh, you'll know right. that he takes himself about as seriously as Bozo the Clown. You know. Yeah, so, so I, you know, and, but, but I mean, you know, you know I, I mean, I, I saw you referred to Stockholm syndrome, and that really <laughs> lit you up. <laughs> well, that did, it did, and because you know, well, first of all, well, you know, I, gag, I use Visual you know. Studio every day. Yeah, I do, and it's not as though I spend spend my time, my all day going, oh, I hate this, I hate this, because I don't. You know, it's a perfectly good editor. Yeah, and it does its job, and it's very stable. I mean, it, it almost never crashes on me, which I'm, which is pretty impressive, given what it does. Yeah, but uh, you know, when I go home at night, I don't, I, I. I close Visual Studio up and I go home at night and I use Xcode and uh, it never occurs to me that I would want to, you know, right. open it up, open Visual Studio without somebody paying me. 
Right. Um, you know, and I, I, I to plan to get for, to get to this um, the show together. Get ready for the show here. I've been doing a couple things. One thing I've been talking to, I've been talking to PC programmers. I've been saying, well, oh, PC programmer, uh, you you use Visual Studio. You occasionally use Xcode. What do you like about Visual Studio? Yeah. And sometimes they'll say things like, like, oh, I like this feature. And I say, oh, Xcode does that too. Right. Right. My, 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 uh, the guy in the next cube, I asked him, I said, I said, well, do you like, oh, I like the fact that when you're debugging and you're in the editor, you can roll over the variable and it'll show you the, um, the value of the variable. And, uh, yeah, I, that doesn't happen in Xcode. And well, it turns out they added that to Xcode, you know, like a release ago. Yeah, you know, it's really, what's really valuable here for our listeners and for, for on your side of the world as well is to just find those things that one does that the other doesn't that you'd really like to see. And I noticed you did that in your blog post mm-hmm. at uh, a sprinkle of cocoa, which is a sprinkle of cocoa.blogspot.com mm-hmm. on, uh, your July 18th post. Mm-hmm. You, you mentioned, uh, some of the things that you'd like to see in Visual Studio that, uh, that are in Xcode that you'd, that you'd like to see, like number one features. And I think that's really valuable for, even for people at Microsoft to hear. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, it would make my life a lot more, you know, you know pleasant, you know, if there's the Visual Studio had a few things. And, you know, it's an old, it's an old product, you know, it's been there, there's certainly things that could be added to it that make refresh it. And I think that people, the Xcode world as, the people at the Xcode team have been looking at Visual Studio. They say, "Oh, this is a feature people love in Visual Studio. We're, we'll we'll implement that. We'll do do really nice code completion, right? Because before uh, version three of Xcode, code completion in Xcode was completely useless. And I'm sure that you know anybody that was using Visual Studio, which has a nice code completer, is that how you say it, a code completer? Yeah, we call it IntelliSense code completion. It's true. Yeah, yeah um, whatever. So, whatever you like to say. Uh, the one thing I don't like about IntelliSense is I'm always seeing this uh, updating IntelliSense on my, you know, in my ID, and it doesn't it's non-responsive for a couple of minutes. I don't like that. But yeah. um, you know, it's uh, and so that they added that, right? That was a you know competitive advantage that Visual Studio had, and they added it, and now the compiled completion is quite good. Uh, yeah. I would say, and. Um, the, uh, the, I think that Visual Studio just needs sort of like a makeover. I think you the people who write it should treat it as a real application, you know, one that you would sell to a consumer. You know, as a matter of fact, uh, the the next version is completely rewritten UI wise. It's all WPF based and uh, and totally new. Well, I'm glad to hear that. I mean, like because my you know, even back when back in like when I first started Visual Studio, like in 2001. Um, I couldn't get over how 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 so many windows could be needed to be resize would oh, yeah. be improved if they were resizable. Yeah, yeah. You know, like I, I gave in my blog an example of the the path the, the uh, path dialog, and it's resizable it's resizable in the horizontal direction and not resizable in the vertical direction. Yeah. And I'm like, well, and, and it's a pretty obvious the reason that was because they couldn't figure out which of the two major fields in that thing should get the extra um, space. And I guess that must be hard in whatever framework that they were using to write it. Uh, that ha- that has to be the reason. Maybe, or or they were wrapping the common dialogue controls that are in Windows. Uh, could be that. I'm not, you know, to tell you the truth, I'm not sure if the dialogues, the the common dialogues in the framework, are actually, you know, the things that are built into Windows that uh, that everybody uses or not. I'm not sure, but well, that, that would be that would be a reason. I think. You know, that's another thing about dot net. You know, I you know, like I was saying, my um. Just to jump to a completely different subject, um, you know, my company is moving to do a .NET in a big way, 
And, you know, it's certainly an improvement over what we were doing on the, on the PC. I, I, there's no doubt about that. Um, the, the one thing I'm sorry, I've always been sort of curious is, like, where are the examples? What, does Microsoft internally use .NET for doing things? Uh, because, you know, you know Co Apple uses Cocoa for everything. You know, the only thing that Apple doesn't use Cocoa for is iTunes, and that's, ama that's amazing that they haven't started done that yet already. I mean, uh, you know, they have their whole iLife, their whole, I, you know, iWork products. All of these are very invasively product. You know, they've brought their, yeah. their, their web browser, you know, all their utility, all their utility applications. Everything is written in Cocoa. Uh, from, uh, and uh, uh, the, the few things that weren't are going to be uh, written in Cocoa in this next release. Mm -hmm. uh, how long has like, Cocoa been around? Well, it depends on what you mind by Cocoa. I mean, obviously, you know, Cocoa came from Next Step. And the next, the it was a basic, you know, development environment of Next Step. You know, the that's next a, computer. Uh, yeah. That was a program. That was a company that Steve Jobs founded when he got kicked out of Apple. Right, and that was in the was like late late eighties, yeah, mid late. And 80s. but of course, you know, uh, it got brought to the Mac. People, Mac users are very particular people, and they said, "Well, we don't want the Next Step, you know, look look and feel. It's ridiculous." Uh, we like our menu bar on the top, and we like our scroll bars a certain way, and we like this and we like that. And so, you know, basically they had to go through and and take the basic idea of how the the widgets and whatnot were were inter interacted with each other and come up with a sort of a Mac way of doing things, uh, and, uh, you know, as far as visually goes. So it really depends on what you mean with how old is Coco. I mean, the name Coco came into existence when they when they introduce it for the Mac. Well, I guess what I was getting at is when, when you say uh, Apple does everything in Cocoa, well, since when? Oh, I see. Well, I, I would say they do everything visual in Cocoa. I mean, I don't, you know, there's th anything that has a visual interface they do in Cocoa. Since, since when, though? Well, see, they sort of had this idea that they had to do a few things in Carbon, which is the old Mac o, classic Mac, Mac OS interface. So they wrote the Finder, which mm. is the, the equivalent of Explorer on on the uh, on the uh, Windows, the, the file explorer on Windows is, is the Finder on the Mac, and so they wrote that in Carbon. You know, not because they couldn't do it in Cocoa, but because they basically wanted to tell Carbon programmers you aren't abandoned yet. Right. So that that wasn't that was sort of a strategic thing on their part. But um, as far as I know, you know, every major application that that they've released since about 2002 or 2003, other than iTunes and um, the uh, the Finder has been in Cocoa. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik, without whom this show would not exist. No doubt, you bump into testing tasks now and then in your work. And we can bet writing functional tests is not your favorite thing. It's difficult. It takes ages and the results could be dubious. Well, get ready to start liking it thanks to Telerik. With the just-launched Web AII testing framework, Building web automation tests is a breeze. Enjoy code-based automation of advanced ASP.NET AJAX and Silverlight apps. Write a single test and have it executed against multiple browsers at once. Benefit from rich API link support, integration with Visual Studio unit testing, NUnit, XUnit, and MBUnit, not to mention the free wrappers for Telerik RAD controls for ASP.NET AJAX and Silverlight that ship with Telerik's new testing tool. Surely one of its best features, Web AII Testing Framework, which is developed by Art of Test, is absolutely free. If you're already hooked on Web AII Testing Framework, you can start using it right away. 
Go to Telerik.com for more info. And hey, make sure you thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. So we've had .NET now for, for a while, and the user interface part, which is the comparable part, mm-hmm. the, um, up until version 3.0, I think WPF was 3.0, right, Richard? Yeah, that's yeah. right. Um, up until 3.0 was all wrappers around the, the Windows API GDI plus the same stuff that we were using in Windows uh, GUI programming in Windows 1.0, which was handle-based um, you know, that you did in C++ using the, using the API, basically. Oh, and, and I'm, and I'm, not, I'm not saying that the under the corner stuff isn't in C++. I'm saying that the actual GUI stuff is. This isn't an argument. I'm okay, just, I'm, I'm, I'm not making an argument. I'm just trying to make sure that I don't, you know, mis- just mislead people. Because, like, if you say that Safari is written in Cocoa, that, that's sort of true. Yeah. But it's also written in C++. Oh, my, my point was just that um, Microsoft is sort of just now, I mean, just with WPF, which is vast and difficult. And I remember you alluded to that, and I'm, we make no bones about it, you know. It is vast and it is difficult. But now that it's there, the applications that they're building anew are coming out into as WPF applications. Absolutely. But it's only starting to happen, right, because WPF's only been around for a little while. And you know, I, um, and I'm, and I think that people will be a lot happier when that happens. I think that, uh, you know, the faster you get to the future, the happier people will be. Yeah, generally. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I, it's not like I'm happy doing C plus plus programming. I don't, I don't like C plus plus, right? I don't. It's a, it's a lousy language for, uh, for, um, for application development. It's a great language for, I don't know, system development or some, some other thing I don't want to do. Mm. But uh, it's a you know I've I've done I've been pre- paid to do C plus plus programming for twelve years, right? And I know it is not the appropriate language for what I've been doing, but there's been no <laughs> real substitute for it. Right. So it's the least of all the evils. Yeah. Well, it's well the thing is you know, I do cross platform development, and I really don't know what the future cross platform development is. Nobody I mean, does. Yeah. It's like. Um, at least with C++, you could do cross-platform development. And if you could do something with Qt or some, some other framework like that. And, you know, I might not care, you know, I think might think that Qt is pretty kludgy, but at least, you know, I can write Mac and PC and Linux versions of things in it. Yeah. So and, you're, really, you're really into the, the whole idea of mono. Well, I would be if I, you know, I'm, I'm just, mono just scares me. I mean, it, yeah. I mean it's, I'm not sure. See, like, let's say I, may, I write an app in, in mono on the Mac, right? And I'd spend devote, devote a huge amount of time to it. Do I know that my launch times are going to be fast, right? Or am I going to spend a lot of time in setting up a framework that is, you know? Right. I don't know. See, I, it, this is something I have to find out because that's what scares me. And, right. you know, am, or am I going to, you know, always be, you know, a second-class citizen when it comes to development because it, it, we have to, I have to wait for mono people to catch up with, uh, with whatever version of the C, uh, sure. It's always going to be an issue. There's no two ways about that. Yeah. So, I mean, th- I mean it'd be nice if there were a common language. And I guess, I guess there is a version of Ruby for, for .NET. And yeah, so Iron I, Ruby. Uh, what? Iron Ruby. Iron Ruby. And so I, so I, I've been, I see, I haven't investigated this, and you just sort of asked me about it. it. It's like, is is that something I could do? Could I do Cocoa development in Ruby and then use the, in my controller classes? Share them across platform because that's basically a, like I'm saying in a good framework. Basically, you only have to worry about your controller framework classes. Now you do Java too. Java is touted as a cross-platform 
language. What's the what's the problem with that? Just too too much. Well, the problem is that Apple hates Java. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> a major thing. Yeah, Ab- Apple is absolutely contemptuous of Java, as it has been for several years. And uh, uh, I don't, you know, I think they they handed off to Adobe of all people uh, development of Java. I think I went to a I went to a, con- a conference a couple of years ago, and they announced that oh, you know. Uh, Adobe has sort of volunteered to maintain Java, and I'm like, what? Uh, you know, that's that's sort of an odd thing for them to do. You mean maintain Java on the Mac? Well, okay, I'm, I'm maybe I'm talking. I should probably talk more about things I know, but I, that's my impression <laughs> of what they said. And and so, but basically, Java is extremely second class citizen on the Mac, and yeah. um, it, you know, it's you know the, the releases come late and the bug fixes come late and. Uh, first, and the other thing is, you know, I really, you know, I like I'm saying, I really like Objective C. I spent a lot of time, you know, writing Java code. As fact, that my first job out of graduate school was writing uh, Java, you know, cross-platform Java. And I thought at the time I thought it was a really good language, right? And I really liked it. But you can never really make a beautiful interface out of it because either it was an AWT, which is an absolute mess in terms of making something sleek, or it was completely over-engineered like Swing. And so I, I'm really down on Java, you know, just as a cross-platform language for anything that has a GUI in it. I mean, maybe you can write, write a web server in it or something like that where it doesn't have a face. Uh, that would be fine. But, um, I, I, you know, I'm a Mac programmer. Right. I love right. beautiful interfaces. If I can't make a beautiful interface in something, it is in some, in some product, I have very little interest in it. Yep. You know, I uh, people. You know, I'm a Mac user and I'm a Mac programmer, and we we are arrogant people, <laughs> and we love beauty. We love beautiful interfaces. So, what about the Mono implementation where you compile onto the iPhone so that you could actually write .NET code that would run on the iPhone? Well, I mean, that'd be a solution for some people. I mean, if some people right. really hate Objective C. Right. Uh, they could do that. You know. The thing about it, I think that people should be more open-minded about it. I think because Objective C is just C with a few extensions. It's, it has fewer yeah. extensions than Java or, or or C Sharp. I think. I mean, it has a messaging syntax, right? It, and the great right. thing about the you know where you have you know, people complain about oh it's got those strange square brackets, right? When you send a message to, when you send a message to an object, you have square bracket you know, the object and then. Some parameters, some named parameters. That's another great thing about Objective-C. It has named parameters that are enforced. So, you know, when you're reading Objective-C, it's very, you know, sort of a very literate thing because you can actually, you know, sometimes you pass a, you say something, pass false to some some function, and you, 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 and you don't know exactly what that false means unless right. you go and actually look for it. Well, in, in Objective-C, you have named parameters to your messages. And so it says, uh, it, where in, in C or or uh, Java or whatever, where it might just say false, it will say, "Oh, um, uh, invert uh, colon false." Right. Right. So it's whatever it might be, so that you can actually read it. You can. You don't have to go jumping around trying to say, "Oh, what does this method do?" It actually sort of tells you. It says, you know, it, it tells you exactly what that parameter means, so you can it, you can read it. It's a lot more self-descriptive that way. Yeah, it's a very self-descriptive language. And the other thing, the other thing that I, that I just love, and this is very seems might seem very trivial, to, uh, is that you can send a message to null, right? So you know how in your code you might have a whole bunch of stuff that says like if my string is not equal to nil and 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 my string 
uh, dot length is greater than zero. Right. In, in Objective-C, you would just say, you know, uh, if my string length is greater than zero. Because if it's, if it's nil, it will just return zero anyway. Right. And so it, it tends to, that just that one little thing tends to make things, your code a lot less cluttered. Hey, I just want to give a shout-out real quick to our friends at Data Dynamics who uh, make ActiveReports.net, among other really awesome things. ActiveReports.net is great because uh, it allows you to just build your reports with an easy editor, embed them right in your application, provide PDF and HTML output, give your end users a report editor, royalty-free, of course, a great access report upsizing wizard, and all this for a price that isn't going to break the bank. ActorReports.net from Data Dynamics. Go check it out now at datadynamics.com. Well, it sounds like that you really like the the dynamic language aspects of Ruby and things like that. What have you? What about uh, generics? Does that turn you on or or uh, Link? Have you seen any of those? I mean, generics obviously has have been around in Java and stuff too, and you, of course templates in C plus plus. But but what do you do in Objective C when you want to have that kind of abstraction? Um, I'm actually not okay. Could you just describe? Could, could, you, could you give me an example? Sure. Yeah. So, uh, uh, generics. Um, when you have it, let's say you have a, a collection that's strongly typed to a particular class, and uh, if you wanted to do that before generics in .NET, anyway, you would have to implement uh, the base class, and you'd have to just basically fill in all the types so that you have a, a strongly typed collection to a particular class. So it's going to hold something so that when you when you access a member of that class you can just hit a dot and then you get you can just say whatever uh, method field on that object you want. Um, well, with with generics you can basically uh, say I want to create a list of and then right in the definition you put the type that you want it to be a list of and then the the compiler at, at compile time puts in the type information for you. Oh, okay. I I sort of see what you mean, and I'm trying to figure out what the the equivalence of things is, um, and I don't know exactly what the equivalent is. I t- I tend to uh, do things my, when I do my own data structures. I tend I actually tend to recently just to deal with dictionaries. Right. I, I, and so I, when I uh, instead of having defining a you know a, a special class for, you know, keeping some data in it. I just use a dictionary. You just pull I, out an object, and then when you want to go access it, you cast that to whatever it really is. Well, I, no, I just, I just make it, I have a dictionary object, in this case, an NS dictionary, right? And, and if I wanted to pass some data like a, the, a username or something, you know, in the, in the old days, I would make an actual, you know, standalone object that was like along the lines of, uh, you know, user and then you know it had a, you would have a user a string of the username and a string oh, of password and so forth. Um, nowadays, I just you know I just cre- I just create a dictionary. So the dictionary can obviously have objects of different types, and then you just use them as keys. Yeah. So your dictionary just holds the fields that you want. Yeah, you know I, I was you know I was listening to your podcast, and one the, the uh, you had the guy on that loved JavaScript. Remember that guy? Oh sure, that was yeah. uh, the only guy. That was the. Um, Oh, what, what's his name, Richard? Crockford? Crockford. Doug Crockford. And I actually saw him again on a Google Tech Talk. He gave a Google Tech Talk. I don't know if you guys ever watch Google Tech Talks. No, haven't. Oh, they're very good. You go to YouTube. They're, they're amazing. Cool. Uh, uh, so anyway, so, um, oh, oh, that reminds me. I mean to tell people, there's, Stanford had a class on iPhone development 
that's available on iTunes. They had like 17 or 18 episodes of it, of an hour each. Oh, we got those a link to very, that. Those are very good. We got a link to that. Okay. You, you do have a link to it. Okay. Okay, no, good. No, 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 no. Uh, I got to get a link to it. Oh, you got Okay, well, I'll, I'll, uh, it's easy to find. but uh, I'll, you know. So anyway, so I, I had that guy on that was doing the JavaScript. Right, and the, and I was realizing when he was talking about object prototyping and things like that, the features of the language, that yeah, yeah, that's right. You know, that's that's a very interesting way of approaching things of how JavaScript uses prototypes. You know, where you sort of you sort of like don't really have a class. You just sort of you know yeah. you build one up. You know, build if you're just keeping state and you're keeping it in this sort of proto object, you don't really need a class. And it's, it's, it's very, very interesting. And I think uh, Apple's doing a lot of stuff that with key value programming that is sort of, uh, it's sort of the same sort of thought. It is maybe, interesting, may, though. May, yeah, that, that's an interesting approach, and it's a very dynamic approach. And it does the, sort of the same thing as extending classes in, in Ruby. Uh, and essentially, uh, what is an object but a collection of fields? I mean, you, you don't have the interaction between those fields inside the object, it's, there's no encapsulation of stuff that works with those things inside the data structure, which an object is. But, but, I but mean, if, you, if you just have some data and you're passing it around, yeah. And um, the other thing, you know, you, you guys had the, all those F sharp people on a while yep. ago. Yeah. And you know, I, I've been doing um, uh, um, functional programming for a long time because that when I was working in medical instrumentation in Illinois, our, our our chief architect was big on, on, on functional programming. You know, he just loved the Dickens out of it, and he sort of got me to love the Dickens out of it, too. And so, you know, when I'm saying I pass around these dictionaries, you know, dictionary in, uh, in, in COCO, an NS dictionary, is, a, is an uh, immutable class. You can't change it once it's created. So, so if you're on one thread, you know, I got this bundle of information I want to send to this other thread for processing, you know, if you had a mutable object, you'd be worried. So you, you can't change the objects that go in it, or you can't add and remove once you've created it? Well, uh, obviously you could add mutable objects to yeah. it and mutate them. But uh, I tend to work entirely with immutable objects. All the way down. You know, they're turtles all the way down. Yeah. <laughs> I know <Yeah>. that reference. <laughs> yes. So, so, you know, so if I'm on one thread, and like, um, let's say I... Let's say I, I'm, I, I uh, I'm doing some sort of uh, talking to some device on the internet, and so I I want I'm going to send it a little message that says, "Oh, here I want you to to ping the device," and so it sends it off to this other thread, you know, that's right, running there, and it processes it, it processes that dictionary I sent to it. It doesn't modify it because it can't modify it. It makes a copy of it and adds adds new information to the copy, and then it sends sends that back to my thread. And so if I do that, I'm safe, you know. Right. I, you know, I, I don't have to deal with locks or, you know, any sort of, you know, stuff to, to keep my thread, be thread safe. Because yeah. all I'm dealing is with, is with immutable objects. I was going to ask you, you use these things on the iPhone as well. Oh, yeah. That's what I'm saying. This is something, this is a, this is a paradigm I use all the time on my iPhone development because it's a very threaded environment. Right. I was going to say. Because yeah. you do a lot of networking code on the iPhone because obviously the iPhone is virtually useless for everything but game playing. If it isn't, you know, talking on the network on something to do something, you know, it's a, it's a huge amount of network programming that goes on an iPhone. What kinds of high level tools are there to shift to the iPhone here? Um, it seems to me like there's a lot of tools that like capture sound and and 
you know, play sounds and things like that. Um, so I imagine a lot of that stuff is built in just the way that you could get an input audio stream or something like that. Is there a lot of stuff that isn't? And what do people do in those cases? I mean, just build them up from scratch and, and what, what's sort of in the box with the iPhone? Well, you know, that's a, that's sort of, that's a very moving target because at one point, the, uh, there was a few things that I, that I felt were really missing. And like, for instance, uh, it was hard to play video streams, right? You could play, you know, localized video files, right? That you, that were on your app, but you couldn't, if you wanted to have a TV app or something like that, Apple didn't provide you with a stream viewer. Yeah. You know, that you could, you could, or you could access a, a remote URL to, to get it. And so there are a lot of people who are spending a huge amount of time trying to get, you know, trying to do these ridiculous things to make a stream viewer in video. Now, do you think that's because they really want you to use iTunes for all that stuff? Because that's the kind of attitude I, I get when I'm using the iPhone is that, you know, anything media, oh, use iTunes, you know? Well, I would say that except for they did add one. That's what I'm saying. Okay. So they, they, uh, you, say, you know, when version two, of the two and two point two of the SDK came out, uh, you know, it was sort of a you had to roll your own sort of like um, uh, audio recorder from you know from more basic components, and it was a pain. You know, even though there was sample code, it was a really a pain. But then they then they came up with a, uh, a very simple you know limited interface audio recorder, and it really works nice. You know, so nicely. So uh, it's. It, it's a very moving target, and some things you're right. Uh, you think of some sort of corporate conspiracy against you. No, no, no. They just want to steer people to their to the tools that they want them to use. I think. Yeah, that's true. And you know, it's it's a very hard to do your own uh, video player right on an yeah. ARM processor. You know, yeah. when you don't have direct access to the GPU. So if they don't provide it, you know, it's probably it's going to take a long time. It took people a long time to have like I don't know uh, apps to watch ESPN or something. You know, until Apple came out with, you know, their own thing that did streaming. And I, I wanted to get, before I, I, the one thing I was, was I just realized, I remember what I want to get back to was, um, you know, we have really good uh, uh, profiling tools on, on, the, uh, on the iPhone and on the Mac. And I think that people, don't, people aren't really aware of them. They're called instruments. And uh, if you go to my blog, you see what I mean. Uh, you, you read my blog entry about instruments, right? Yes. And... Um, and I, I love profiling code. I mean, I get, one of these guys get these endorphin rushes when I get 20% improvement in, in performance. It's like, wow, I sped up, I sped up, I found out where the bottleneck was and I killed it. And now <laughs> there's another bottleneck somewhere else. And it's so easy to do with instruments. And because, you know, it's all, you, you don't have to, it's all dynamic. You're working on a, you know, a running app. You can do experiments. You want to say, Oh, I'll, I'm going to do, I'm going to um, do this over and over again. See see where all the where all the um, the cycles are going. You know, you don't have to like run the app, get the report, you know, dig down through the report and figure out what it is. It's all running there right in front of you. It's sort of like a performance counters in Windows. It seems to me. Yeah, it's 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 similar. You know, I've used the profiler on Windows. Uh, for doing things, because you know, it, it, you, you know, I think any professional software engineer has to profile their code at yeah. least like a few times a release release cycle. And I've I've drastically sped up our code on Windows by using that. But I, you know, but our Mac product, you know, ChemDraw for Mac, is really is really fast at most things. And that's a lot of that is because you know I went through and I found I found these ridiculous leaks that I was doing or this. Oh, it was doing that, 
oh, that's bad. I shouldn't do that. <laughs> and you just need a profile to find that. Because like this one time, my boss had thought our text rendering was bad or slow. Yeah. And he said, oh, go rewrite our text rendering code. Okay, so I said, okay, I'll go rewrite the text rendering code. And I spent three weeks re- rewriting the entire text rendering code. And then it wasn't any faster. Yeah. It was the pro- <laughs> I ran the profiler. Oh, this other bit of code is slow. Yeah. So there goes three weeks. There goes three weeks. Yeah. Should I run so, the profiler? Yeah. Yeah, go, yeah. Run the profiler before you spend three weeks rewriting a text renderer. There's um, something. There's a feature of uh, in the .NET Framework 3.5 that you may or may not know about it's called Link, L-I-N-Q, which is a way that you can query collections uh, in memory, mm-hmm. and actually it provides a, a queryable interface for lots of objects. But at a, for Link to Objects is basically a way that you can say. In this collection of these objects, find me, you know, and do like a SQL query. Find mm-hmm. me all of the objects where, you know, the, this value is this or this value is some expression and order them by this. And, oh, I only want to select these fields or I only want to select the string value or something like that and uh, and be able to use that in return. And I was just talking to Richard about this application that I wrote that um, I use in my car Mm-hmm. To uh, it's a voice-driven application that I load up my entire music library, and I sit basically ca- get all the information about every song on my disc and serialize them to this big binary file, and I load that up every time uh, I run the program. So I want to, you know, when when some when I say to the my program, you know, play scenes from an Italian restaurant, it mm-hmm. does a link query against these objects in memory. And it's you know to to do that stuff manually when it gets complex can can be a bear. And then doesn't it suggest you should play uh, Piano Man after that? Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe you would like to hear some more Billy Joel. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Well, uh, I think well you know again we're, we're uh, iCode development is moving target, and they just added uh, which is something that's been on the Mac, the Mac desktop for a while. They had uh, Core Data. And uh, which is sort of a, it's really cool, you know. Cause the first version of of, um, of the OS, you had to, you, they were, people were using uh, SQL Lite for their database needs, and SQL Lite is pretty, is nice, but it's you know it's a C API, and it's you know it's just yeah for a Cocoa programmer it's sort of ugly, sort yeah. of. But uh, they, so they have Core Data came out, and as part of Core Data, they have uh, this is not something I'm an expert on, but they have predicates. Right, and you can build up these predicates and do searches on your your database, your 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 core database. Right. And the back the back end of, of a core data database is usually a, a a SQL database of some sort. Right. And so, yeah, you build up these these predicates, and uh, you know whatever it might be. I just the the one project I've been using it. I do some. I just use a very a very simple thing. I say, oh, I need. Um, I need uh, these data records in the order in the order of their date field, right? And uh, that's all I really need. Uh, so, but you can make much more complicated uh, queries than that. It's interesting, obviously. But uh, it is something that's in there, and this is something that's new. You know, they have the you know they have the data model tools for building up these these database models. Now, what's and, that? Is that data SQL databases on disk or in memory databases or? Well, that's how they're stored. You know, that's that's you know, it's that's it's very much abstracted from that. Okay. Uh, you know, you basically you 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 have a, a GUI designer of a database, and you say, oh, I I need an object for this database, 
and it's going to have these fields in this field, and it's going to have references to these other ones. It has a multiple. It has uh, a reference to this other, a list of these other things. It has has a or is a or whatever. You know. Yeah. And 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 then you you know you, you once you're done designing it, you you'll, you'll spit out um, cocoa files for it, which I don't like, by the way. I, I do not like uh, uh, machine generated code. Yeah. I do not like it at all. It actually, but it actually seems to work pretty well. So I, I mean, I can't argue that it doesn't work. Sounds sort of like the entity framework, Richard. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, but the nice thing about Objective C is that you have this thing called categories, which means that you can add uh, add methods to another object without modifying the original object. So what I did was, uh, okay, it's going to spit out these 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 um, these uh, objects. Well, I'm, I don't want to edit that file because I might want to edit the file again. So I, I will just create this other Objective-C file, and into it I will put uh, extensions into the uh, into these uh, created objects. Well, that sounds like basic inheritance to me. Well, no, that's not. It's not inheritance because it's the same object. It isn't. It is. You don't. Ta- you're just adding a method to it without seeing it. Okay, and that that would be partial classes in .NET. That's yes. the same sort of thing. You can split an implementation over or a definition of a class over two uh, two or more files. Well, it does. You know, it doesn't have to be your own class. You can you can do this to any class. You can do it to the NF string or whatever any of the system classes. So I don't know if you can do that. I mean, see, I'm not a C sharp programmer. I don't I think so. To... No, I, I don't think so. I think um, the original class has to use the word partial in the uh, intermediate language in order for that to work. Okay. Well, yeah. So if people do categories all the time. Like like for instance, if I have hmm, oh let's say let's say I have a, a a string. I have my the NF string is the basic string class. And I want to uh, to add to NS string a routine that uh, that uh, puts those percent signs in URLs, yeah. or uh, takes them out, encodes or decodes them. Yeah, sure. Well, yeah, I can just declare a, um, a declare a category on NS string, and all of a sudden NS string has that method for you know, everywhere. Anybody, okay. you know, it doesn't even have you know. You could actually not even have a header file. And just you know, uh, look at you know, look at the file and say, oh, do you support encode URL? Yep. And it will. Sounds it's, like Ruby. Know, yeah, it's a very dynamic language, um, and people do all. You know, I, I, you know, I, want, I don't want to come out here as being you know the 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 um, Cocoa Guru guy. I'm a pretty competent Cocoa programmer, but you know, the, there are people that you know devoted their lives to this framework. And uh, they do amazing things, and I try to emulate them. It's pretty obvious they do amazing things. Um, it's it's great to. I mean, the the iPhone is a joy to use, and and I haven't found any app that I've downloaded or bought that I would consider ugly. Well, okay, well, I, maybe one, maybe I one. Have, but... <laughs> I have, I uh, have. I've done. I downloaded a couple that are. You know, I, I downloaded the Curious George dictionary for my son. Oh, and that is so. You know, that's bad shovelware. That's just bad. <laughs> But you know, you know, I wish I had some. You know, I've had this opportunity. I wish I had something to shill for. You know, right? I don't, <laughs> you know, well, I, I don't. You have you your know. Signal GH uh, app. Well, yes. Anybody who has an iPhone and an HD Home Run, which you should have. What's an HD Home Run? An HD Home Run is a network uh, TV tuner. It is really nice. If you have a, uh, I assume you have Windows Media Center, right? Oh well, some of us do. Okay. Do you have an antenna? No. No. Cable. Oh, you should have. You should because the highest quality HD programming in the United States comes over the antenna. Well, yeah, that's. I guess if you can get a good reception, I'm not so sure I would be able to. But, but I thought you were okay. in Connecticut or something. Yeah, I am. Yeah. 
Wow, you can't get good reception in Connecticut. Oh, well, I haven't. I don't have an antenna, so I don't know. Oh, okay. Well, anyway, uh, the, the, the idea is here is that, you know, normally you get a TV tuner, it's a USB device, or it's a PCI card, or whatever. And the, you have some, somebody had this brilliant idea that you could put a little network device that converted the MPEG stream, you know, from the antenna, and just shoot it out over, over your, your LAN. Yeah. So that any computer in your house can all of a sudden have a TV tuner in it. And it is really nice. And I, I wouldn't, if you're, if you're going to embark it for a TV tuner, an ATS or a QAM tuner, uh, I recommend it. I have no money in this, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I just wrote a little app that monitors the signal so you can, can put an antenna up in your roof and you can adjust it and see where the signals are. Ah. And that's all it does. Uh, you can also, it, it also has the odd side effect that if you change the channel and you're watching it on Windows Media Center, it will uh, change the channel. So oh, that's pretty cool. That's I cool. like that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I don't, yeah, I got some, I have some other thing that's going to be big that I'm working on. You know, everybody has their big thing they're working on. Uh-huh. But, but unfortunately, the, the web service that it's, it's tied to isn't going to be released till September. So I have nothing to, and I have nothing to shill right now. Oh, well. Well, it was good talking to you anyway. And it, it was good to, uh, to have, uh, it was really good to have you on. I think our listeners got a lot out of it. Well, thank you. You know, you were very kind to me. You could have, you could have just, you know, beat me up pretty easily. And oh, well. uh, I, I appreciate it. Yeah, no, we're used to getting flames, right, Richard? Yeah, absolutely. And, <laughs> and you honestly, Glenn, you wrote a good one. It was a good <laughs> one. Yeah, it was. I mean, I, 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 Carl, yeah, Carl reacted first when he said, uh, "We got to have this guy on the show." <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, well, you guys are very gracious about it, and I hope uh, I hope uh, that well, I hope I didn't offend you in my email. I, I you know, I, I'm I'm not usually a troll. I'm not just not. So I, I try to be a nice guy. No, well, I think that came across in the message, too. You were passionate, and that, I think, is uh, yeah. what we all need more of in this business. Absolutely. Okay. Well, I'll be still be listening to your show. Uh, I've, I've really, you know, the one thing I've gotten about is there's the people out there who want to improve their profession. You know, they want to improve their professional yep. uh, processes and whatnot. And the one thing I've really enjoyed about listening to your show is the, you know, the passion people have for software engineering yeah. and yeah. making themselves better. And I think... Everybody should have the goal that every year, every day, they become better software engineers. And that's, that's just what they should do. And whatever, if you're a Mac programmer or if you're a, a .NET programmer, whatever you might be. Amen to that, Glenn. Thank you. Okay, thanks, guys. I'll talk to you later. All right, bye-bye. Bye-bye. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band 